All right. Uh, so, yeah, we are in Matthew 2, if you've got your Bibles. Um, just want to say thank you if you've been joining with us in the, uh, just our Advent worship uh, we give you, we've given you some family worship guides uh, on the app. If you've taken advantage of those, man, I, I, uh, man, I hope you have. They've been really sweet for our family. Super easy to do. Uh, you know, we've, you know, there's about three per week, uh, but they've been super sweet in our, in our homes, just in our family worship time. Uh, man, just want to continue to encourage you to jump in on those things. Uh, also, the My House um, worship songs, like, uh, I, I kind of, this week I got in trouble a little bit with my daughter because, you know, I don't know if you check it out as, as often as I do, but I'm, I, I check out those worship songs because we like to do the new ones, the newer ones. And, uh, you know, there was one on there that they had put kind of a placeholder on the app for, but they hadn't linked it to the YouTube video yet. So it wasn't live. It didn't go live into the day. And the particular song was Joy to the World, the song we sang, the first song, I think, today. Uh, well, Joy to the World is my daughter's uh, Abby, it's her favorite song. Maybe it's because her name is Abigail Joy, so she thinks it's about her. Um, but so there was one family worship night that I'm like, Abby, guess what? Like, I got a you know, surprise for you when we get to family worship tonight. You're going to love it. It's going to be awesome. And we do the whole family worship thing, whatever. And I go and I click up the, the video and I click on it. Nothing. And I'm like, no, you know, I was like so pumped about this. So, uh, but the next day I was like, Michael, you got to get me like a sneak version of this thing so I can play it for her. And, uh, but those have been sweet times in our home. Hopefully you're taking advantage of those and, uh, uh, you know, doing those in, in your homes. Uh, today we are talking about the peace candle, traditionally the peace candle or preparation candle, whichever one. Uh, and uh, we're, we're focusing on the peace of Christ specifically uh, uh, today. And in Matthew 2, we're really going to see a couple of different examples, specifically two examples of lives uh, that didn't have peace. And, uh, and we're going to see really how we can kind of, uh, we kind of uh, can match up and mesh up with some of those. We can relate to some of those uh, lives and maybe hopefully uh, uh, put some of those away and take up uh, the peace of Christ, right? And, and really, you know, we're, so we're gonna look at two characters and we're gonna look at practically how can we uh, step into the peace of Christ in this crazy time of our lives or just in life in general? How can we have the peace of Jesus over us, you know? Uh, I, I read recently this grandma was told that, you know, you, uh, the way to have peace is to finish things that you start. So that night she went home, she finished the red bottle of wine, the white bottle of wine, the bottle of Prozac, the cheesecake, and the box of chocolate she had. Uh, needless to say, it was a silent night uh, for her, uh, but in the morning she felt like grandma had gotten ran over by a reindeer. Uh, so stupid. <laughs> Uh, we are constantly in a world where uh, everyone is pursuing peace, right? Like, like the, the, we're chasing after peace. We're chasing after, uh, you know, that, that elusive thing. And, and really, peace has left the world. Um, really, people have been pursuing peace like that since, the, since Adam and Eve first disobeyed God in the, in the garden, right? Their sin trickled into the rest of humanity and all of us are born in our sin and we're born uh, outside of peace. So we're looking for how do we get that peace? How can that peace reign in our lives? How can it govern us? Now, what we do and what we're gonna see today specifically, but what we do is we, we try to cling on to things that offer us 
peace for a moment. And it may offer some peace for a minute, but it's not everlasting peace. It's not even a lasting peace, right? We, 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 we find some peace when we accomplish something. But that accomplishment only lasts so long for us. We, we, we find some peace when we buy that new thing. But that new thing begins to be sold on Facebook Marketplace before long, right? Like, like these things in our lives that, that we, we cling to to bring peace to us when really the only peace, the, the only lasting peace is found in Christ. And that's what we're going to see today as we look in, 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 in the scriptures. And this is exactly, we read this last week, we, we read Luke 2, but this is exactly what the angels declared to the shepherds when they said in Luke 2, 14, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among those with whom, he, with whom God is pleased. Well, the only way we are pleasing to God is when we're found in Christ. That's it. And so only in Christ do we have peace. Are we, are, are, we, are we to have peace with God, right? Now, Isaiah prophesied about Jesus when he called him the prince of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. So he's the only way we can have a true, lasting, eternal peace, right? So today... And we're going to do kind of a, a deep dive character study on a real life Grinch that literally tried to steal Christmas uh, as we look at Herod. Now, Herod uh, is an interesting fellow. Herod, by worldly standards, had everything. If you were to travel to Israel today, like half to three-fourths of the Israel tour is all junk that Herod did, right? It's like, here, look what Herod built. Look at this. This is what Herod did. Like, it's like, okay, Herod was wicked, evil genius. All right, great. Uh, and so today we're going to look at his life and really hopefully learn from him. But we're also going to see some other characters involved in that. So if you've got your Bibles, Matthew 2 is where we're going to be. And uh, uh, we're going to see that Herod had everything he uh, wanted, but not everything he needed. Everything he wanted, but not everything he needed. So let's read. Uh, I'm going to read 1 through 12, and then I'm going to read 16 through 18. Okay, I'm going to skip a little bit. Uh, a little long, but hang with me. I think it's good, worth it. Let's read together. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler, ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them up to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Then skip down to 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed 
all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Thank you for uh, hearing the word. Obviously, you know, when you think about Christmas and Christmas sermons and Christmas stories, uh, Herod uh, isn't really one that, you know, you bring up when you're talking about like tis the season to be jolly. Like we're talking about Herod today. It's kind of a peculiar twist on, on Christmas. But I, I want to kind of dive into who Herod was, like what he was about for a period of time, because I think we're going to glean some things. And then we're going to look at kind of that, the whole wise men um, uh, and, and Herod's response to, to Christ's coming. A couple things about Herod. One, he took over as the governor of Galilee when he was 25 years old. Uh, so he, he was a young leader. He began to climb the political ladder. He, he was kissing the Rome, uh, ring of Rome, essentially, and uh, sucking up to Rome. And they kept promoting him uh, to, to governor. Now, his father uh, was um, a political leader before this. He was actually killed. He was murdered. And so the first act that, that Herod does is he brings everybody in for a dinner who was even slightly involved in his father's murder. And he has his hitman kill all of them. Uh, and so that was his, his first act as, as governor. And, uh, and by the time he was the age of 32, he was beginning to be called the king of the Jews, um, which ticked the Jews off. They didn't like this because he was not even fully Jewish. He was half Jewish, half Edomite. Uh, and he was not Jewish at all by religion. And so they were really ticked off by him. They were also ticked off because uh, he was um, kept building these statues of Caesar uh, in Jerusalem, which uh, according to the, the, the Ten Commandments broke the second commandment, but like putting up these false idols. And, and, uh, and so it really uh, ticked off the religious uh, Jews around, around him. Uh, Herod had 11 wives and 43 children, so he didn't have a lot of time on his hands. Um, you know, he, 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 he um, uh, uh, all these family members, but the crazy thing about it is he was so um, just insecure. He was so paranoid and suspicious uh, about his family because he was super power hungry. He didn't want anybody to take his throne, so he would kill anyone that he perceived to be a threat, a threat to that throne. Um, it's said that he killed his wife's brother and grandmother because he perceived him to be a threat to the throne. He killed uh, a couple of his wives. He killed many of his sons because he thought that they would uh, overthrow him and take uh, take over. Um, this is kind of the sick and twisted man he is. When he uh, was about to die, he ordered all of his top lieutenants. He said, when I die, I want you to fill the Hippodrome, the stadium that, that was there by where he lived. If you fill the Hippodrome with all the, the Jewish um, like uh, uh, leaders, all these uh, esteemed Jewish leaders in the community, you bring them into that Hippodrome and you slaughter all of them to guarantee that there will be mourning on the day that I die. This is how sick and twisted Herod was. So he, he, he's, he, he's called many names. He's very cruel. He's very barbaric. Uh, he was also very wealthy. 
Uh, you know, it said that uh, he, he heard that uh, King David, who was the most famous loved king in Israel, uh, that King David hid from Saul in a cave in Masada. And so he said, if the most famous king of Israel can hide in Masada, I'm going to build a palace and live in luxury in Masada. So he built this palace in Masada, this ridiculous, uh, luxurious uh, place, this huge palace on top of this mountain. The only issue was it was in the middle the desert and they had no water. So he reroutes Jerusalem's water source in order to flow into the desert so that he can then fill his spas and pools up with water. Crazy this guy. Uh, he, he built a stadium that could seat 500,000 people. 500,000 people. What is that, like 10 times the size of the stadium down here in Nissan? Uh, it, you know, it was a huge stadium. He had over 500,000 people on his payroll that were his employees. Uh, he wanted to build a, a palace uh, between Jerusalem and Edom, where he was from, and uh, he wanted it on a mountain. The only problem was there was no mountain. So he built a mountain. He, he, he built this huge mountain, put a palace, uh, this luxurious palace on top of it. It's called the Herodian, and you can still go there and visit the Herodian. And, and it, this luxurious palace that had on top of this mountain its own pond with a gazebo in the middle of this pond that you could only get to by boat. This is the life that Herod lived. He, 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 was, he had the power. He had the money. He, he had the fame. He had the, he had the influence, right? I'm, I'm trying to give you some perspective on those, those things for him so you can realize how crazy his irrational jealousy about a baby born in a podunk town is. Herod had it all. By worldly standards, he, he had it all. And when the wise men show up declaring that the king of the Jews had been born, this 70-year-old man, he's 70 years old at the time, over 70, and, and his health is terrible. Essentially, the grim reaper is knocking at his door. He's got one foot in the grave, and he, he, he hears of this baby being born. He says, no. He, he, he says, not, he's, this baby's going to, he didn't want to be unseated on his throne. He didn't want this king to come in and take over uh, his throne. And so, uh, I, I, you know, he, he begins to act. Now, the wise men come, they, they, they show up to where Herod is, and uh, obviously they're, they're, they're seeking Jesus. Now, there's a lot of legends about the wise men, and I'm probably going to absolutely ruin your great picture of your nativity scene this morning, so sorry for that. Uh, but a couple of things in this. One, uh, it's, it's, legend has it that there were three wise men. I know we've sang songs about three wise men, but really we don't know how many wise men there were. There could have been two, there could have been 20. We think three. It's said to there's three because there's three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So that's how we really don't know how many there were. Uh, also, if you have a nat nativity scene and the shepherds and the wise men are there together, it's biblically inaccurate. Uh, 
Matter of fact, the, the wise men are showing up. Jesus is two years old when they get there. Shepherds are there when Jesus is born. So if you want to be more accurate, if you take those wise men and like put them on the other side of the room, maybe they're like traveling over. It's kind of like instead of elf on a shelf, you could do like, you know, whatever, wise men on a whatever, seedling fan, I don't know, whatever. Uh, and uh, then it would kind of be a little more accurate. Uh, but, but essentially, the wise men come, they show up, Jesus, they, they get to Jesus uh, when he is uh, around two. Now, how they got there, uh, you know, they, they're, they're probably astronomers. The wise men were astronomers. They were living probably in Iraq or Iran when they saw the initial star uh, and they began to seek out. Uh, according to the prophecies, they begin to seek out this king of the Jews, this uh, king, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that was to be born. And uh, they, they're bringing their gifts or whatever. Now, they show up and they get to Herod. And, um, uh, and so Herod begins asking these questions. Obviously, here come these wise men that weren't a part of the Jewish culture. They, they came from afar. And, uh, uh, and, and then they're saying, hey, a king has been born. Herod, very interested in that. Matter of fact, the scripture says he was greatly disturbed by that and, and all of Jerusalem. So this word disturbed means he was violently shaking. It upset him. Uh, he began to grow furious. He, he can't imagine someone ruling besides himself, right? And so he has one foot in the grave, but two feet firmly planted on his throne. And he didn't want to give that up. He didn't want some baby to unseat him. So he grew furious, shaking, angry. He's going to do something uh, about that. Now, it also says all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. Essentially, if Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy in this particular uh, culture. Now, Herod had known that the Jews were looking for a Messiah. He had known the prophecies. Uh, and probably the reason why he's so uh, upset is even in the, in the mind of the Jews of the time and the religious scholars of the time, they expected Jesus to come as a, po a political hero, a warrior, Someone who was going to overthrow Rome and, and reestablish the theocracy of, of the Jews. That's what they wanted. They wanted a war king. And Jesus wasn't coming as that. We know that in hindsight. But when Jesus is born and the prophecies are being declared, uh, they didn't know that. They thought God had uh, uh, raised up his war hero, his his. His, his king, right? And so Herod takes offense to that. He calls in all the religious leaders and theologians. He asks them where this king was to be born. They say, according to the prophet Micah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's like, all right, Bethlehem. Then uh, he, he's Herod, thinking these wise men are onto something. He says, all right, you go and worship him. Then come back to me and tell me where he is so I can go and worship him too, right? And so he, he, he's obviously lying to them. He wants to, to he's act, trying to act fast. He's trying to kill this threat to his throne. And so, uh, and so uh, he, he, he tells them, come back. When these, um, then the star miraculously appears again for the wise men. They are led by the star to where Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are. And they bow down, they worship him, they give the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And so they go by, go to their land a different, uh, a, a different way. Well, obviously, this um, enrages Herod. 
uh, he, 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 he's furious. And he puts the babies of Bethlehem in his crosshairs. And so he, he's, he's upset. And he's, he's, in, since he can't just kill the one, he's going to kill the all. He's going after all of them. He had ascertained that, there was, that, that Jesus would have been about two years old. So he's going to go kill all baby boys in Bethlehem, uh, two years old and, and, and younger. He's, he's, he's chasing them down. So the butcher of Bethlehem sends mercenaries to kill all the baby boys, two years old and under. Church history calls this the slaughter of the innocents. Uh, the only thing that I can um, even begin to uh, equate this to would be, be something of the Holocaust. I don't know if you've ever been, if you ever get to go to Israel, which we do a, church, we do a trip around here every two years uh, to Israel. And uh, man, put that on your, on your list to do. That'd be a great thing for you to do. But if you get to go there, there's a Holocaust museum. And in the Holocaust Museum, there is this memorial to all the children that were killed in the, in the Holocaust. And what it looks like is you walk in, and they have these candles lit, but they have these mirrors behind these candles. So as you're walking through, it just kind of looks like this infinity amount of candles. And then as you're walking through, they're just reading over you the names of the babies that were killed, uh, how old they were, and where they were from. And so they're, they're just constantly um, reading names. I forget how long it takes to go through all the names, but it's a ridiculous amount of time. They're just, they're just reading these names. A very moving, heavy experience, right? Very similarly is what you have happening in Bethlehem. You, you, you have these babies being drugged out of the arms of their mother and slaughtered right there in front of their parents. Um. Obviously, the, the, the weeping, the crying, the, the moms that would be just a wreck. Um, and can, can you just imagine the scene? Because of one king's insecurity, because of one king not wanting to give up his throne, the slaughter of babies. Back in Jerusalem, Herod catch his word that, you know, the mission had been accomplished. He kind of leans back. I'm imagining he kind of leans back in his, uh, think, you know, with a smile on his face, thinking he had succeeded, thinking he had found peace from another enemy, thinking he had killed his final enemy, the king of the Jews, the prophesied one. But thankfully, he wasn't even close. God warning Mary and Joseph in a dream to get out of there. They fled uh, to Egypt to hide out until the smoke cleared. Now, a couple of things I want you to see here. Uh, obviously, this is not a heartwarming <laughs> Merry Christmas. Uh, babies were butchered in Bethlehem. Joy to the world, right? This is not uh, coincide with that. But I think what we're going to see here is a couple of things. We're going to look at Herod. We're going to look at the moms in Bethlehem, and then we're going to look at how we might have peace. In, in, a, in, in a story, a situation that is all turmoil, where is, there's no peace in this. Where is the peace? So two people. First one, obviously, Herod, we, we've kind of established that he had everything he wanted. But maybe you're in here, and you're, you're just like him. Now, you might not be as evil as him. 
You might have not have as much stuff as him or as much power and influence of him, but the spirit of Herod resides in you. And by that, what I mean is this. When it comes to you giving up your kingdom or your dreams or your ambitions for the kingdom of Jesus, you don't want any part of it. You ain't having that. And if Jesus is coming and, and he wants something from me or he's going to tell me how to live my life or the rule that I'm supposed to sit under, then I don't want any part of that. And essentially, you have your heart and the way you want to live your life and, and you, you want to continue to step into that and say, I, I, I'm going to live it my way. I'm going, to do, I'm, I'm going to do my life the way I want to do my life. I want to do me. I'm going to, I'm going to live for me. I'm going to, army of one kind of, I'm going to live it out the way I want to live it out. It's the same spirit of Herod. You, you feel threatened by the idea of giving up control. Oh, you, you're, you, you've got enough religion to be dangerous. Like you're okay with coming to church. You're okay with checking a religious box, maybe appeasing some kind of guilt, like, I did that, good for me, but that's not kingdom living. There's no peace to be found there. You'll keep living for your own kingdom. You'll keep, keep building something, but you're building on sand, and it's going to be crushed in the end. There's only one kingdom that's going to last. There's only one kingdom worth living for. And it's not ours. It's not yours. It's his. But you might be fighting, man. You might, you like, like, you've got two feet planted on your throne and you're saying, no, I want to do things my way. I want to believe what I want to believe. I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't want it to cost me anything. I'll follow Jesus as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Well, if it didn't cost you anything, you're not following Jesus. It's a kingdom. There is a king, and we're not it. We are servants of the king. You know what servants of the king do? You know what they don't do? They don't come into the presence of the king and say, hey, king, here's what I'm going to do. They don't do that. They come in the presence of the king and they say, king, what would you have me do? You know what a servant doesn't do? It doesn't take the orders from the king and say, oh, you want me to do that? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else. No, that's not what a servant to the king does. A servant of the king says, that's what you want me to do? I'll do it. I'll go. So maybe you're in here, man, you're living for your own kingdom. You're, you're, you, you know, you're not, you're not living, you know, a life in submission to Christ. You're not even daring to be obedient to him. Maybe he's calling you to go. And I think every believer should at least pray unto God, God, do you want me to go? Do you want me to live sent somewhere else? Every believer should come unto Christ in the presence of him and say, what do you want me to do with my life? Everything's on the table. And the answer, God, is yes to whatever you call me to. That's what a servant does. It's what someone who has let go and relinquished rule and reign of their own kingdom under Christ, that's how they live. They live in obedience and submission unto God. And that's where peace is found. 
you could be in here and you could, you could have everything that Herod had. You could have the job, the money, the, the car, the, the status, the career, the, the, the whatever. You, you, you could have all of that. But, but you're chasing, and you may be chasing those things, but you're chasing those things to fill the void of peace that only Jesus can bring to you. So work the long hours you want to work. What are you, what are you doing it for? Chase the car or the money or the house. Why are you doing it? Are you building your own kingdom? Are you trying to fill a void in you that's meant to be filled by, filled by Christ? So you can have the world and die. You know, it's reported that Herod died. That it, that it was a, he died and then there was a, a period of time before anyone found him. And when someone finally found him, he was half eaten by maggots. Here's a man who died pain and agony and alone, but had it all. Had everything he wanted, but not what he needed. Don't chase the things you want and sacrifice the one thing you need. Namely, Christ. Namely, peace in Christ. So, so you, may have, you may be Herod in here. You may be fighting for your own kingdom or pursuing worldly things, thinking that they're going to bring to you a peace that they're just not going to bring to you. That may be you. You may have the spirit of Herod. Second person I'm going to look at is you, you may be the Rachel in here. I'm, I'm going to refer to it as Rachel because that's what the prophecy says in, in, in Matthew 2. Maybe you're a Rachel where it says, Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted. There's several of you that you're like, that's not me. I'm not Herod. I'm not pursuing the materialistic things of the world. I'm not pursuing, you know, these ambitious dreams. But what you're doing is in here is that you, you're not going to have peace with Christ. You're pursuing peace in other ways but simply because you won't uh, deal with the hurts that have happened in your life. And you're letting the pain and the wounds and the hurts that have happened in your life keep you from peace. You're letting those things, there's no doubt that there's, if I went through and we talked to every single person in this room, there's testimony after testimony after testimony where life has just hit you hard. It's punched you in the face. It's knocked you down. Maybe you've had loss. Maybe you've lost a parent or you've lost a child or you've lost someone you love. Maybe you've lost in your dreams of being successful, you, you lost in marriage. You, 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 just, you, you just have these things that, that, that drape over you, weighing you down. And maybe you're angry with God. Maybe you can't find peace because you keep holding a grudge, bitterness against God. And you, and you can't move past it. Like, you, 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 you're just, you're saying, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm going to hang on to this. I'm not going to let go of this. This is going to be, I'm just going to be a victim here. And I'm going to play that victim card and hang close to that. Because that's where my identity is. It's in being a victim. Not letting it go and letting Christ heal me, but in hanging on. Because by hanging on, I got some kind of argument against why I'm not doing the things I need to be doing in my life. Maybe you just, you're angry. You, you don't want to forgive him. 
You're like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm never going to forgive God for doing this in my life or letting this happen in my life. And you, you're never going to find peace holding on to those things. The true peace is found not just when you, like Herod, not just when you stop fighting him and relinquish your kingdom, submitting to him, not just when that happens, but also when you trust him. When you trust him. Not just when life is all good, but when life honestly sucks. Do you trust him? Do you hold him as sovereign and in control over all things, even our pain and hurt? It's Romans 8, 28 that says, he works all things for the good of those who love him. Did you hear that passage? He works all things, not all good things. He said, all things for our good. All things, our hurts, our pains, our failures, our weaknesses. He works all things for the good of those who love him, even our pain and hurt. The only reason our pains and hurts can have any kind of purpose, that they're not arbitrary, is if they're in the plan of God. And his plan and using those pains and hurts in our life to draw us in closer to him, more dependency upon him, and to trust him more. The only reason your pain has purpose is if it's a part of his plan. Do you trust him? Do you trust him as sovereign? Do you trust him when life is not going your way? When your marriage is on the rocks? When your job, you just got laid off at your job? Do you trust him when your kids are rebelling against the Lord? When you don't know where the money's going to come from? You press in and trust him more. I I love because you look at this passage and you see the slaughter of hundreds of baby boys, yet God's plan is not thwarted. It was prophesied that Jesus would be in Egypt. How did he get to Egypt? By the Bethlehem Massacre. He fled to Egypt. His plan cannot be thwarted. So my encouragement to you is understand that God is in control. And don't be like Rachel who refused to be comforted. Are you in here and you have pain and you have hurt, but you're refusing to be comforted? Refusing to take those hurts to God. He can handle it. And he can... Show you the prince of peace. Now, now, so you can have the spirit of Herod. You can have the spirit of Rachel. Now, I want to give you some practical how to find, have peace. Colossians 3.15, the beginning of Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So the way into peace is to submit to him. 
You need to be saved. You need to bow down. You need, you need to give up your own kingdom. We sang the song. We bow down. We come to worship you. You need to give up your own kingdom. Die to that. Come and submit your life to Christ. You submit to him, and you spend time with him. You spend time in the presence of the Prince of Peace. I'm not naive to think that just because everybody is a regular attender of church, that they're a regular a communer with Jesus. But it takes you stopping. This is why I love the psalm that says, Be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the earth. I will be exalted among the nations. What's our role in that? Be still. We have to sit in the very presence of Jesus and so that we can allow him to rule, the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. Do you have a time where you sit in the presence of God? and Just you and him alone. Now listen, this is where our very... Our, our culture has bred in us, stay busy. You keep doing, you keep going. You don't give any downtime. And when you're downtime, you put on the TV, you binge watch Netflix. You don't listen, to, you, you don't sit in silence because that just bothers you. Be busy, put more stuff on, put more music on, do more stuff, fill up your calendars. And Jesus is saying, sit with me. Sit with me. Let me bring peace to your troubled soul, your busy soul, your hurting soul. Sit with me. This is what happens when we, we, we come to Christ and we, we, we get with our Bibles and we sit in the presence of, of God. We begin to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. You are going to the only one who can bring you peace. And you're sitting with him and you're saying, I need your peace, God. I need the peace that passes all understanding. I need the peace that rules and reigns over this crazy life I'm in. You sit in it. You have, as a believer, if you are a believer, this is where Jesus comes in and nourishes our souls. I can't do that for you. If the only spiritual sustenance that you're getting on a weekly basis is me, you are starving. You have to sit in the presence of Jesus. You have to take that step of vulnerability and say, all right, it's just me and you, God. Show me. Show me some truth from your word. Open my eyes to understand the truth of the gospel Deal with me, deal with my soul. Because that's the opposite of what we want to do. We want to keep things rolling. Because if I'm busy, I'm productive, I feel successful, I, you know, yeah, chasing these things. And they're going to get to the end and it's going to be empty. 
And it's going to be the, the time that you spent with Jesus that you were, were, the, were the most filled, the most satisfied, the most nourished, that he's going to give you true rest. This is why when you veg out and you chill, maybe you have a day that you do nothing, that you're still more tired at the end of that day. Why? Because you're not filled. You were made for relationship with Jesus. And when you neglect that, you're going to be empty. You're going to be tired. And you're not going to have peace. It's relationship with Christ. You sit in his presence. Let me pray for us. Father, you are so good to us. And uh, I'm going to pray. Maybe there's someone in this room who has that spirit of Herod, that they are fighting for their own kingdoms. They, they, don't, they don't even know they're fighting for their own kingdoms, but they're just so, they just don't want to submit to you as Lord. They don't want to be governed by you. They don't want to change their life. They don't want to be changed by God. Maybe they're just insecure about giving up their kingdom. Maybe they're just afraid of what it will cost them. I pray, God, that you would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. Save them. Break their heart, God. Remove that heart of stone. And replace it with a heart of flesh. And maybe, Father, there are um, the spirit of Rachel in here, that there are people who uh, keep you at arm's distance because they're afraid of getting hurt again, or they're angry about their hurt. And they run away from the one who has the power to heal has the power to turn a tragedy into a testimony. Has, has the power to bring life and breathe life into us. But this spirit of Rachel, she refuses to be comforted. And maybe she runs to everything else in the world. for healing and it doesn't work it'll never work I pray God that you would help that person to trust you to depend upon you to step in and maybe they don't, we don't know all the reasons why something's happened in our life but we step into trusting you regardless of the reasoning And Father, I'll just pray for our church. I pray you would make us a people that sit in the presence of the Prince of Peace. <laughs> that the rest of God is what defines us, characterizes who we are. That we're not spiritually ADD always needing something new something moving 
that we can sit in the presence of our Savior and be filled up by you. Be the storm of our heart and soul. Be calmed by you. Give us eyes to see, Jesus, that that is, the, that is more valuable to us than anything else. than any game, than any job, than any amount of sleep. Time with you is more valuable. Would you move in us, Father? Just give us peace. We want peace. We need peace. Let us not be like Herod who pursue all the things we want, but we don't pursue the thing we need. Make us wiser than that, God. Make us wiser than that. Make us a people that love to pray, that love to be in your presence. We need you. We need your help in this, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.